good to see you all. Uh, thanks for joining us, whether you're here in the room or on, uh, online with us. Um, if you have not had the chance to meet me, my name's David, and I am actually uh, part of the staff here at Severn. And uh, today I get the honor of continuing our series uh, that we're calling The Church. And uh, in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking really at just what the church is, what it's always supposed to have been, and then what it means for, for us who are followers of Jesus, what it means that we're part of the church. And uh, for this series, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, uh, which if you don't know, that was actually a letter. The book of Ephesians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus, uh, which was actually a group of people who he was particularly close with. Uh, you can actually read in the book of Acts that he spent several years, actually, ministering and serving and just growing to really love uh, these people. And uh, you can actually see how close they were in Acts 20. Uh, you actually see the, the moment where Paul says goodbye to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, so to these people. Um, and he says he, that they're never going to see his face again. And it says that when they were praying as, as they were about to part ways, that there was just a, a great deal of weeping, mainly because of that, that they were never going to see each other again face to face. Um, so as we're reading this today, I just want you to remember that this is Paul writing from a prison cell, cell or writing from prison, to people he greatly cares about and who really care about him that he knows he's never going to see again. And that's kind of the context of what this whole letter and this context of the passage we're reading today, which we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> we'll be in verses 1 through 13. I'll go ahead and read that for us. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you? The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. <clears throat> this is God's word. So um, I don't know if you noticed, but in verse 1 of this uh, passage here, Paul actually interrupts himself. There's a dash. And he goes off on this little sidebar, which is actually the entire passage we're looking at today. It's this little, the whole passage is this little digression that Paul goes on. And you can tell that because he actually picks back up in the next verse, in verse 14, uh, with the same words he had started with in verse 1. So what we're looking at today is this little digression that Paul goes on, uh, but it's worth our time. And the reason it is, is because Paul actually kind of shows us what this whole little, you know, distraction, this little interruption of, in his passage, this whole interruption is for one purpose, and he actually shares it at the end. He says, so then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf. And the words, so then, are really just showing everything Paul said before that was for that purpose. So what Paul's doing here in this little interruption is he's spending time trying to comfort his friends, keep them from being discouraged and crushed by the fact that their friend Paul is imprisoned and facing afflictions. 
And I think if you consider it for a little bit, that's actually pretty incredible because not only is Paul facing his difficulty, you know, he's the one imprisoned, not only is he facing that with this steadfast peace, but he's so full of peace that he's able to actually think about how that's going to be impacting his friends to where he's now trying to comfort them and saying, hey, you can, you don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged over what's going on right here. And um, so really you see Paul saying like, hey, as the church, you know, I understand what it means to be part of the church, so you can understand that too. We're, not, we're people who don't have to lose heart. We don't have to be discouraged. And what we get to see today is kind of by looking at Paul's example, both in his own life and also in what he says to his friends, we'll get to see three things that, that he has and that we can have too as a part of the church that'll make us people of this steadfast peace. We get to see the perspective that Paul had, the purpose, and the promise. So some major alliteration for you there. The three Ps about a guy named Paul. Um, <clears throat> so first we're going to look at the perspective. And I'm going to read um, Ephesians 3, 4 through 8 for us again. He says, by reading this, you were able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah. So Paul starts off his whole sidebar of encouragement by talking about something he calls a mystery, which if your friend tried to encourage you by saying, but have you heard about this mystery, uh, it probably wouldn't build you up that much right away. Um, and the reason for that is partly just how we understand the idea of a mystery. So when you and I hear that word, we probably think of something hidden that it's our job to discover. So you think of NCIS or a million other murder mystery shows where at the beginning of the episode, Somebody's dead, and that's the mystery. And the whole episode is the job of the main characters to, to find the evidence and do the work and uncover this big web of lies, and then, you know, they solve the mystery. But that's actually kind of the opposite of how Paul is actually using this word here, what this Greek word means and how he's using it. It's not something that's hidden, that it's our job to discover. It's actually something that has been revealed because we never would have, had this, have discovered it on our own. So it's something that God has revealed because otherwise we never would have thought of it. It's too counterintuitive. So that actually leads to the question, obviously, well, what is this mystery? And Paul lays it out multiple times through this passage. It's grace. This mystery is the gospel and the impact of the gospel in that God is reconciling through Jesus' death and resurrection, is reconciling people to God and people to each other. He talks about the Gentiles and the Jews being brought together. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago. So we see that grace is this great mystery he's talking about. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the mystery. And the reason that that's a mystery to us, something that we would have never thought of on our own, is because it's just not how we think. We don't think in terms of this free gift that God makes available to us through the death of Jesus. We think, I do good, I get God. Or I do good, I get whatever, the, the perfect afterlife. And that's really, that, that's how men naturally think. That's world religions in a nutshell. But that's not what the, the gospel is. That's not this mystery Paul is talking about. Grace is so different than that. Grace is you never could have gotten that, so Jesus made it available for you through his death. And in Paul's life, we see that this good news, this grace, this gospel, it's not just some nice information, you know, for him to chew on or meditate on once in a while. He sees the gospel as the transformative truth that has changed the way that he sees everything else. So the way he sees the gospel changes his perspective. It changes the way he sees everything else. And uh, 
This week I actually, in my sermon research, watched a YouTube video, great deep research here, and uh, I watched a YouTube video, I don't know if you've ever seen these, it's uh, colorblind people seeing color for the first time. So there's, there's these glasses they have where you can put them on and you can see color for the first time. Really cool videos, actually. Um, I'll tell you, it's basically 30 minutes. It was a compilation video. It was basically 30 minutes of, of grown men crying as their eyes were opened to all these colors around them. And they would typically respond with an initial like, shock and like, like, wow. One guy was like, I didn't expect it to look like this. It didn't look like this a minute ago. And what's crazy is these people weren't seeing a new world. They, for most of them, they were at their house, you know, place, a place they've seen millions of times. And they're in their yards, in their backyard, front yard. They're not seeing a new world. What's happened is they now have a new lens through which they are seeing everything differently. And in the same way, the gospel, for you and I, if you're a Christian, if you're part of the church, the gospel changes the way that we see everything else. It changes our perspective, including how we see suffering. Again, remember, Paul is encouraging his friends here, don't lose heart, don't be discouraged because of the suffering. So how does this gospel perspective, how does it help Paul view suffering differently. There's a lot of ways, um, but I want to point out two. The first is the security that the gospel brings helps them see suffering differently. Because you notice in this passage, uh, Paul talks about the incalculable riches of the Messiah. He's talking about this inexhaustible well of riches that he has in Jesus. So he knows first off, okay, what he has through the gospel cannot be exhausted. He could search through it his whole life and would never come to the end of how great this mystery is how wonderful it is. But also in Paul's other writings, he knows these riches can never be taken from him. And if you're wondering, well, what are some of these riches? Um, in Ephesians 1, we actually saw some of them. We talked about it back early in the first week of the series, um, that in Jesus we are chosen. We are holy, blameless, loved, adopted, favored, redeemed, forgiven. And this is just the start. Obviously, these are incalculable. They're endless. But these are, Paul already understands that he had these riches and nothing could take them away. And if you're a Christian, you have those riches and nothing can take them away. Not suffering, not death, nothing of any sort can take those away from you. So what that does to our view of suffering, it, it doesn't make it always easy or it doesn't still, it could still hurt, but it kind of takes the fangs out of suffering. It's no longer the threat that it used to be because it can't take what really matters, these riches we have, it can't touch them. And I was, I was thinking about, you know, when you look at an example of a guy like Paul or someone in the Bible, it's really easy to see them as these superhumans who have, like, no problems and they're just, they're just more godly than everybody else. But I just want to ask you, if you had a friend who won $100 million or inherited $100 million and you noticed he wasn't really worrying about money anymore, would you be super impressed with that guy? <laughs> like, no, you would just know it. He knows what he has. And in the same way, this is a picture of Paul. He's a guy who knew what he had. He had these inexhaustible riches that suffering couldn't touch. So that's the first thing we see as far as how the gospel perspective shapes his view of suffering is that it brings us security. Secondly, it brings a freedom. And this might sound a little counterintuitive on the front end, but as far as what kind of freedom this is, but Paul calls himself a servant of the gospel in this passage. And then he also looks at this life that God has given him to take the gospel to, to the ends of the earth and uh, the life that actually got him imprisoned, and he sees it as a gift. So he sees himself as a servant. He sees this life that's ended up with him in prison. He sees it as a gift. And the reason for this is because the freedom we have in the gospel is that we're free from the need for life to go our way or to go a specific way that we really hope it would go. We're free from that. And the reason that's so important is there's nobody listening to this. There's nobody who's ever lived whose life went exactly as they wanted it to go. You and I are going to experience... 
dreams and hopes that just don't come true, that don't happen. We're going to experience losses, whether that's just material losses or, or loved ones. And we're going, to, we're going to, from our limitations, recognize that whether that's physical limitations or just a limitation of time, we're going to recognize that there's things that we want to do and things we want to be that we will never do or be. But in the gospel, when Paul sees Jesus emptying himself so that Paul could be full, first he knows that he can trust this guy with his life, so it doesn't have to go his way. But secondly, again, he's got these riches that allow him to be selfless and to live his life for others. Because if you, th- if you think about it, if Paul's view of his own life was that he needed to be as happy as possible and as comfortable as possible, enjoyed as much as he could before it was over, imprisonment like this and the suffering he experienced would be crushing. You know, if he saw his life as something he needed to control to go a certain way, there's no place for suffering to have any sort of benefit in his life. But because he understands the gospel, he's free from that. And we are free from that as well. Our lives don't have to go a certain way because we know we already have everything we need, so we don't need it to go our way in every possible um, way we would like to control it if we could. And what that does as far as our view of of suffering, again, because that's the context we're looking at it here, so the security makes us view suffering as less of a threat than it used to be. This freedom allows us to no longer view suffering as this roadblock that stops our lives, and instead we just see it as a new opportunity to live out this purpose we have. Because, you know, Paul's imprisonment basically just became the new way he was going to carry out his purpose. He was going to tell his guards about Jesus. He was going to write letters to his friends that we're reading 2,000 years later. So he was free from his life having to go a certain way. And again, as, as the church, uh, we're a people of this good news. We can face bad news because we're a people of this gospel, of this good news. But the, the real obvious question for us is, is the gospel that sort of treasure to you? Do you see it as that significant? Does it really shape the way that you view your entire life? Or have you been waiting for me to move on to the next point and say, come on, get past the gospel point, David. I've heard this before. Um, have you been feeling that inside you? And I don't mean that to, to attack you, but just to say, like, it's really easy for this good news to become old news to you, where you no longer see it as this mystery that has these in, the incalculable riches of Jesus. We don't, if we don't view it that way, we're not going to be able to face suffering the same way Paul did. So that's the question. Okay, so let's get a little more personal here before we move on to this point, from this point, which we will move on at some point. I won't keep here the whole time. A little more personal. <clears throat> what if your answer is no? The gospel is not that to me. I don't see it as this treasure, never have. Don't really see my life through the lens of the gospel. How do we start to see it for the good news it really is? So again, I want to point at Paul's example for us, and then we'll kind of try to bring it down to our lives. So in Paul's life, before he met Jesus, he was searching for his meaning, his purpose, his significance. He was trying to get to God all through his religion through his morality, through his striving, through his own efforts. And he was, he was the best of the best. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the Jewish religious expert, and he was like the best one of the whole group. But the good news came to Paul uh, first by him getting blown off a horse and experiencing a really, really hard truth. The hard truth that Paul came face to face with when he met Jesus was that for all of his working and all of his striving and all of his effort, he had not gotten one inch closer to what he had been trying to get his entire life. That's a hard truth to come to terms with. He had to realize he couldn't do it. In fact, he was trying to get to God through all this religion. He actually became public enemy number one of God's people and found out he was actually in direct opposition with this God he was trying to get to. But the good news came, after realizing that, the good news came in that Jesus didn't just kill him on the spot. 
Jesus didn't give him 20 things he needed to do to make up for all the bad things he did. Jesus forgave him. And Paul would come to learn that not only could he never have worked his way to God, but he didn't have to work his way to God. Because through Jesus' death and resurrection, he'd made that freely available. That grace, that forgiveness, that love was freely available in Jesus. And now Paul could be closer than he ever dared imagine to the God he thought he was serving through all his efforts. But the odds are you probably don't think like a Jewish religious expert from 2,000 years ago. You're probably not trying to find your meaning and purpose by following the Torah. That's probably not you. But while you might be pursuing things slightly differently than Paul, or you might be doing it in a different way, uh, you are still searching for things in your life and pursuing things in your life such as meaning or lo a love that lasts or an identity that nothing and no one can take from you. Or maybe you're just searching for satisfaction or hope or peace. And this gospel will become, you'll start to see the good news that it is first when you realize a hard truth, which is that for all of your striving, for all of your work, for all you've been doing, you have not gotten one inch closer to all those things that you've been chasing your whole life outside of Jesus. And the good news comes whenever you realize that every single one of those things are found in Jesus and are given freely by him. And that doesn't mean that Jesus is our errand boy who just is there to give us purpose and give us happiness. It means that when you realize that Jesus is all you need and that you can have him free of charge, that all those other things follow. But <clears throat> this passage is not just about us as a church, seeing the gospel perspective Paul had and learning how we can you know, make it through another year. That's not what this whole passage is about. Because our purpose is so much greater than just survival. You know, there's a much greater purpose out there. And that's what we're going to look at next um, is actually the, the purpose that Paul talks about. Um, and that's going to be in Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. <clears throat> Paul said, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. Um, so I don't know if you noticed in that passage, if you didn't notice, I'm going to point it out, so you will notice now. You might have thought, hmm, that's kind of weird. It said that the church is going to reveal God's wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Is that talking about angels? Uh, the answer is yes, it is talking about angels. And because I'm a white male who's grown up in America my whole life, I can get weird embarrassment feelings when I start talking about angels and demons. And I can tell you why. I'm just going to be very uh, clear about my insecurities here. First off, it's because I like to fully understand things. And let's be honest, nobody fully understands angels. Um, but also, um, I know that I've grown up in a, in a culture, as have you, uh, that is very naturalistic. For most of us, we've grown up in America. It's very naturalistic. We don't really give much thought to the supernatural. You just see weird movies about it. Um, but we don't even get much, given much thought to it. So I just want to point that out on the front end. In case you felt weird about that statement, you're in good company. However, uh, this passage, uh, it's not some discourse on angels. And of course, in the church, we believe in the spiritual realm and we believe in angels. But this passage has a different point that he's getting out here. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that and get distracted by that. Because what Paul says here, and listen to this, this is a pretty incredible statement. He says that God's plan for all eternity has been to make his incredible wisdom known to all of creation through us. 
through the church, if you're part of the church. That's how God's going to do that. That is an incredible thing to think about and obviously brings lots of questions to mind. I'll look at two. Um, first off, how does God do that? And secondly, why would Paul mention this if he's trying to encourage his friends? Why would he bring that up? How is that going to help us be more steadfast in our suffering? So first, how does God make his multifaceted wisdom known to all of creation through the church? How does he do that? We've looked at this a few times. I talked about this a few times in this series already. But if you look back in Ephesians 1, uh, we see this idea of God's plan for the world being accomplished. And this is how it's described. God's plan is to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So God's plan for all of creation is to bring this falling world, falling, this world that's falling apart back together. And then we see, we saw a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 2, that really the first taste of that, the first glimpse of that is the church. God is creating this new humanity where he is displaying that restorative healing power by breaking down barriers that had been set up for forever and would have never been taken down, barriers between people like Jews and Gentiles. He's taking these completely opposed, hostile groups and making this new humanity as the first look at what he's going to do for all of creation. Take things that are falling apart and bring them together. And then here again, in this passage, we see this idea that the church is God's pilot program, really for what he's going to do for all of creation. So if you think of like a pilot episode of a TV show, that episode exists to show you what it's all about and to, you know, show you why it's worth buying into. And in the same way, we as the church, we have the, we're the, really the, the pilot episode of, the, of God's work of beginning to bring this restoration, this healing, and really just displaying his wisdom through that to all of creation. But why would Paul take the time to talk about this really, you know, 10,000-foot view of the church's purpose. Why would he talk about that? And how is that supposed to help us endure suffering or deal with difficulty? And here's the reason. It's because when you realize, and when I realize, that we are a part of this purpose, you know, to put God's restorative healing power on display for all of creation, when you realize that, suffering doesn't stop that purpose. It actually just becomes a greater opportunity to accomplish it. So in the church, your most difficult things that you face in life actually have value. Because if you think about it, if we're supposed to display this healing power of God, how would we really do that, like this idea of God bringing the world together? How would we really do that if our lives never felt like they were falling apart? So this doesn't mean that we just become people who seek out suffering or, or love suffering or smile when it happens because we're glad we, we get to suffer. But what this does mean is that when we suffer, as a church, as we endure difficulty, and when we, have, we, we actually make sure that no one's suffering alone, whenever we are forgiving one another, when we're wrestling with God in those difficult times, all of those things are just a part of a greater purpose. And they actually put on display God's healing power in a way that really nothing else can. So Paul recognizes, okay, guys, my imprisonment, he can say this to his friends, my imprisonment is a part of this greater purpose that's bigger than me. So you don't have to worry about me. And you're actually part of that bigger purpose too. And if he was talking to us today, he would say that we are part of that bigger purpose. And the reason I think this is so important is human beings, we're made for purpose. There's actually a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl who, if you haven't heard of him, he was a, a concentration camp survivor. And he's written a very famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he's actually uh, quoted as saying this. <clears throat> Remember, this is a guy who survived a concentration camp. He said, life is never made unbearable by circumstances but only by lack of meaning and purpose. 
So remember, that's a guy who went through a concentration camp. That's a guy who lost family members in concentration camps, one of the worst atrocities we can remember or recorded history. And he's saying, it's not the circumstances that will crush you. It's not having a purpose that will crush you. And what Paul is pointing out here for the church and what he's pointing out for us is that not only do we have a purpose, we have the greatest purpose that has ever existed, which is to know God and to make him known. And what that means is the way that we view our suffering would just be it's one more opportunity to put this, this, this power of God on display. Now that maybe sounds, maybe that sounds inspiring to you, maybe it doesn't. But if you're like me, your inner cynic may have spoken up already and said, well, how are we supposed to do that with any sort of hope or for any sort of longevity, for any long period of time? How are we actually supposed to pull that off? <clears throat> and I want to look at the, uh, the last thing here that we're going to look at, which is the promise that we see here in verses 10 through 13. So I'll reread 10 and, and in the next few verses as well. <clears throat> this is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. So in verse 13, Paul wraps up this whole digression he went on by saying, don't be discouraged or don't lose heart because of my afflictions, for they are your glory. And that language right there points directly to the cross of Jesus where Jesus' afflictions resulted in glory, both him being resurrected and glorified and both in glory for us as well. And that's the promise of the cross, is that suffering never has the final say because there's a resurrection. There's glory on the other side of it. And I don't know if you noticed, but it said this is according to God's eternal purpose accomplished in the Messiah. That's past tense. So first off, that's a relief. This whole purpose, this grand purpose we just talked about, doesn't depend on us. God's not sitting there saying, like, I hope they pull it off. Um, it doesn't depend on us. It's already accomplished in Jesus. We get to be a part of it. But more specifically in relation to suffering, what this means is that even in the worst possible situations, the cross shows us that God is working through that situation, not in spite of it, but through it, to accomplish glory, to bring glory. Because when you think about it, Jesus' life here on earth, his purpose on earth, wasn't to just live a nice life and bring salvation. It was to be crucified. The crucifixion was central to his purpose of why he was here, and through that, God brought glory. In the same way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to face your version of, of crucifixions, where you face difficulties for the purpose of bringing about glory, of God working his glory in and through our lives. <clears throat> and uh, I wanted to actually to close for us just by, by reading a passage out of 2 Corinthians, another letter that Paul wrote. And while I'm doing this, though, the worship team can, can come on back up. Uh, but the reason I wanted to read this is as I was trying to think through how to close, I just realized the Bible can say things better than I can say things. So I'm just going to read this to you guys. Um, but this is uh, 2 Corinthians 4, it's verses 6 through 18. And as I read this, again, this is the same author. This is Paul just writing a letter to a different church. <clears throat> Listen out for some of the stuff we talked about today, about the treasure that the gospel is, about the difficulty we're going to face, about the purpose we have, and about this promise a future glory. Just listen out for that as he talks to a different group of people, same author. <clears throat> he said, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. 
We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore we speak. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul said that an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory is what waits on the other side of this difficulty, of this life that we face and the challenges we face in it. That's the promise. And the proof of that promise being not just some pie-in-the-sky idea, the proof is the resurrection, that Jesus' crucifixion wasn't the end of the story. So as a Christian, as the church, we don't just have some, you know, hopeful idea that maybe it'll go all well at the end. We have a confident hope in a historic, because of a historical fact called the resurrection that shows us that suffering isn't the end. Glory is the end for those who follow Jesus. And I think the more that we get this, the more our perspective is going to be shaped. It's going to, be, it's going to shape the way that we view everything in this world by the gospel and the way that we view our sufferings and be shaped by the gospel. And then the more that we get this, the more we'll actually be able to live out this purpose we have to put God's healing power on display. And the more that we get this, we'll be able to actually live in this hope of this promise we have of a future glory that's secure because of what Jesus has done. And as we close, I just want to just challenge us. Like, let's be this type of community, not a community that pretends like things aren't difficult whenever they really are, but also not a community that pretends like the difficult things are the end. Instead, let's live in reality that, yes, we will face hard things, and there's time for mourning, and there's time for weeping, but that's not the end. So I just want to encourage us in that. Let's be that kind of community. Let's be a church that never gives up. I'm going to pray for us and we'll close. Father, I uh, cannot pretend to know what people are going through in this room. The little bit I do know uh, just um, makes it clear that life is hard. And God, we, we need you every step of the way. We thank you that you don't leave us alone in the difficulty. And we thank you that you give us a gospel that we can have hope no matter what we're facing. And Lord, I just pray that really the gospel would be the, we would see it as the treasure it really is. We would actually see it as the good news. We'd see it as, as good as it really is so that we'd be shaped by it and become more and more this church that you've described in your word and that we would be steadfast no matter what we're going through. And we thank you, Lord, that, that all this doesn't depend on us, it depends on you, and that we can be confident because of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.